Welcome into episode 29 of the Woopig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. As always, episode 29 is brought to you by University Traditions. You need a hat for golfing, a day at the lake, or just, you know, to wear out and show some school pride. University Traditions is the place to go. You can use VSN promo code VSN15 to receive 15, 15% off your order. So go support University Traditions and also, you know, Variety Sports Network by using that promo code. We'll dive in here with some Arkansas football news is Arkansas received a last-minute commitment to fill out our scholarship limit from wide receiver Dasman James. He's a three-star wide receiver that comes out of Clayton, North Carolina. He's 6'2", 185. His senior year, he had 43 catches for 601 yards and five touchdowns, as well as 27 rushes for 321 yards and four touchdowns. He also plans to run track at Arkansas as well, and you can kind of understand that when you see that he won the 4A state championship in North Carolina for the 100-meter and 200-meter in track and field. So, you know, he's a guy that's got some speed. So so what do you think about this pickup, Seth? Man, uh, we're just adding a little bit more lightning on the offense. Um, obviously, this kid's uh, a speedster. You, you uh, put him on the flip side of Isaiah Sategna, and you got some uh, – some extreme speed in the skills position on offense. So um, between all of our wide receivers, um, there's there's kind of a stack full of them now at this point with several of them with some some really solid um, high-end speed. And then you've got a, a pretty stout running back room that's that's got some pretty legit speed also. And then you look at your quarterbacks, none of them are slouches when it comes to, to running the ball either. So there, there's a lot of, a lot of speed on that offensive side of the ball. And uh, hopefully Enos can kind of design plays to get these guys utilized appropriately, whether it be, you know, kind of like this, this kid, he had 27 rushes last year. Um, I mean, probably be a prime, prime example of end around plays, jet sweeps, things like that, you know, so we'll see what uh, they're able to kind of, mesh together with these these all these different faces I'm, I'm excited to see kind of where the offense shapes itself up I really don't think you're we're even going to see it all kind of bloom to fruition until you know maybe three four or five weeks into the season um, there's a lot of a lot of new faces and a lot of talent a lot of speed on that offense very true you know i definitely expect those end rounds or reverses to be called at the right times instead of on a third and 12 situation you know but hey you know I'm not the coach either, so. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I will say I'm getting more excited as, you know, we're we're getting into an off-season period where we've got a few months before football. Uh, you've got summer ball going to get kicked up here pretty soon. Um, but, you know, the more I think about it and the more, you know, you see it in the media, I think this year could be a prime year for KJ. You know, he's got a great coach in Enos that's a great quarterback developer. He's been – you know, at the university, very familiar with these personnel. You know, I think this could be a year he takes the SEC by storm. Not that he's played bad in the previous years, but I think this is easily his year to be one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC. I think it's probably his his uh, year with the most the, – the highest percentage chance of leading the SEC and passing yards and you know, a, a lot of big factors. And part of that is obviously just due to him you know, being a seasoned veteran and, and having a lot of uh, offensive playmakers around him. Hopefully some of those guys 
step up. You know, I think there's a few questions around him yet, you know, on who's going to be that tight end he goes to, who's going to be that main wide receiver, you know, who all is going to be the guys that step up. Obviously, you know, Rocket Sanders um, on the running back side of things is probably going to carry a lot of the load. Um, but I, I think this is probably the, the best chance he's got at, at really setting some university records potentially, um, you know, kind of like you said, taking the SEC by storm. It's a little bit of that's due to all those weapons, and then a little bit of that's due to some of the other universities maybe having some question marks at quarterback. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Alabama losing Bryce Young, uh, Kentucky losing Will Evans. You had some of the bigger names from last year go ahead and go to the NFL or whatever the case may be. And, um, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett at Georgia. There, there's there's plenty of names to go around. Um, Richardson at Florida. So Hooker there's Tennessee. a lot more question marks. Say that again. I said Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. Yep, yeah, there's another prime example. So, you know, KJ is kind of the last of that that group of guys that's that's been around the league for a few years. So realistically, I think he's he's got a really good chance at, at being kind of the SEC um showcase quarterback. Um obviously you, you still have to play the games and and um create those stats, create those wins, all that stuff. I th- I think the biggest thing as far as a risk for him is just staying healthy. Um, yeah, I think realistically the SEC is out there for the taking. It's it's not going to be easy by any stretch, but with KJ kind of at the helm, as long as he can stay healthy, I think we'll, we'll be in every single game that, that we're playing in. I think we'll be competitive in every single game. I, I don't foresee us getting the brakes beat off of us horribly in any, any matchup we have. We've got some tough road games. We do. That's that's kind of the roughest part. But as long as KJ stays healthy and Rocket stays healthy and our offensive line doesn't have too many – I mean, you know, you're going to have guys get banged up. It's, it's to be expected. But as long as they don't have injuries that are keeping some of our key key guys out for extended periods of time, I think we'll be competitive in just about every game we're in. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that the protection of KJ is key. But, you know, also it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of our games last year wasn't necessarily – offensive problems it was our our lack of depth on defense especially on the secondary end and that's kind of having to adjust to that lack of depth so I think with you know the players we brought we brought in like we've said in previous episodes you know we've loaded up on the secondary depth and with the players we brought in so I don't think that should be an issue now it'll be just you know that defense stepping up and then our offense putting up the points to help that defense yeah I I definitely agree with that take I as, as long as our defense can just do enough, I, I don't expect us to be, you know, Georgia 2.0 and holding teams to 10 points. I, I don't think that's going to be that quick of a turnaround for us, unfortunately. But if you can keep teams, you know, underneath that 20, 25 to 30 mark, I think that that leaves us in a prime opportunity to, uh, you know, score a few more touchdowns than that, whether it be just better offensive production or winning the turnover margins. You know, I'm not really sure how that's going to shape out, but as long as we can kind of stay under that 30 mark, I think we'll be at a really good spot to let our offense shine. Yeah. And so we'll keep you updated on any football news we get throughout the off season and the rest of the summer goes until we get ready to, you know, kick off football season here in just, you know, three short months. So, you know, until then, we'll we'll keep you updated and we'll move on to some basketball news where, you know, last week after the show, we got some good news and some not so good news. So on the good side, Devo Davis announced he's going to return to Arkansas for another season, which 
I think is big for this team. He brings a lot of veteran, you know, senior leadership to this team, you know, that, you know, we kind of saw last year that he was one of the few upperclassmen on the team along with Kamani. So I think that's big for him to come back, especially with transfers coming in, for him to be able to, you know, just show them what this program's about and what's expected of some players. Yeah, I was definitely excited to hear that news. Um, you know, on the flip side, Jordan Walsh decided to remain in the NBA draft. I, I think kind of everybody expected that, especially after hearing the results he had at like the NBA combine. He had some really good workouts there and everything. So wish him nothing but the best. Hope he gets drafted as high as possible and gets that, that fat sign of bonus. But gonna hate to not have him on the team just with his defensive prowess. But definitely a good thing to keep Devo. I think We've spoken, you know, kind of in previous episodes about if he can come out and really be that leader that he turned into at the very end of last season, if we can get that from him at the beginning of the year, man, I, I think that'll, like you said, definitely help when it comes to some of the transfers. But then I think it'll really help just with some of the guys that were freshmen last year that are, you know, coming into their own, being sophomores this year. Joseph Pinion really comes to mind. I mean, hopefully we get a few more minutes out of him if he can kind of improve some of his defense you've still got guys like Jalen Graham coming back that played last year that I think they really started to look to Devo as that that rally type of leader at the end of last year and so if he can come in and really be the leader for those guys that already have some some tenure with him and then really get some good buy-in from the transfers man I, I mean I'm I'm just excited about this team we've got this coming year as I was about last year's team I mean I know we're Maybe I have quite as many McDonald's All-Americans, but I don't know. I, I think this is going to be an exciting year for basketball. That's true. And, and, you know, with that being said, you know, Arkansas does has, have one roster spot left to fill. And, you know, a guy that's been at the headline of that just, you know, within the past week after withdrawing his name from the NBA draft and saying he's going to be in the transfer portal is – Grant Nelson from North Dakota State, he's a guy that he's a 6'9", 235 forward. So, you know, he could bring some more depth and height there on that, you know, the 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 four or five spot, whereas, you know, we are a lot of our transfers are, you know, that that guard or wing type position. So, you know, to have another guy to play along with Graham and Brazil would be great. But just looking at his stats from last year, he was a 17.9 points per game average. Averaged 2.1 assists per game and 8.9 points or 8.9 rebounds per game. And if you remember, he he put on his own show when he played against Arkansas back in, you know, November 7th of last year in one of our non-conference early season games where he puts he put up 17 points, went five of nine from the field, one of two from the three-point line, and six of eight from the free throw line and six rebounds as well. So he nearly averaged what he his season average against us early on in the season. So I think this is one guy that you got to look at that, you know, just could be another great addition to this roster that Muss is building. You know, he has a visit with Arkansas this set for this Thursday or Friday. He originally had a, a, a visit with Baylor scheduled for today, and he ended up canceling that, and he will have a visit with Auburn, I believe, not Auburn, Alabama, Alabama. Yeah. tomorrow, I believe, so ultimately, it sounds like it's going to be down between Arkansas and Alabama, you know, Nate Oates versus Coach Muss, and, you know, in that fight, I like Coach Muss to, you know, tell a guy, hey, you know, you get on campus with us, you know, here's a chance to win, you know, get a chance to make a run here, whereas, you know, you're looking at Alabama, 
And, you know, they lost some guys this year to the draft and especially some of their big guys. So they're going to be needing a big guy. But I think if Arkansas can get this guy on campus, it's just going to bolster this roster for next season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's already shown spurts where he can play in the SEC. I mean, we we had a, in my opinion, a pretty solid defense last year, and he had a really efficient game against this. Granted, it was early in the year, but still, I mean, it's he had a really efficient game against us. That's just all there is to it. And uh, so he's he's already proven that he has the talent to play at the SEC level. Um, whether it you know he could sustain seventeen points a game is, I mean, that's just a You'd have to see it to believe it kind of thing. But the kid's definitely talented, um, kind of to your point. It would it would definitely be nice to have another um, player that's got a little bit of experience in that forward-type position. And we've got Bayfall coming in, um, you know, who's got definitely some tremendous size, but a little bit of a question mark there as far as, you know, how college-ready is Bayfall. I mean, heard great things, but – you know, you just never know in those kind of situations. And with the transport, transfer portals, kind of the way that it is, you can go get guys that you know are ready for college basketball environment. So um, definitely excited to see kind of how, how our visit shakes out in comparison with Alabama. I mean, I know Alabama's got a tremendously good basketball team they have for the last couple of years. And they're going to be trying to fill, you know, Brandon Miller's spot, a couple other guys that, like you said, went to the draft. So, I think there's definitely some competition on if we can even get this guy necessarily, but I'm excited to kind of see what must has up his sleeve to maybe try to fill that last roster spot with Grant Nelson. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I saw some, some of the feedback he was getting from NBA as he went through that process was, you know, they were telling him that, you know, he'd probably be a second round later pick and that, you know, he would probably improve his draft stock to come back to play college ball you know, another year at, you know, maybe a bigger program, even in a smaller capacity role that it would still help his draft stock for him to, you know, come in and play another year of college ball. So I think that went begging his factor to, you know, leave the draft and return to college. So like you said, we'll see what his decision is essentially between Arkansas, Alabama, that's the two schools that, you know, I've heard right now that he has official visits set up for, you know, like we said, he canceled his visit with Baylor. So it really feels like it's now between us and Alabama. I know Alabama can probably offer him the chance of more playing time, just do their lack of depth in that forward, you know, five spot. So we'll just have to see what happens there as we get through the rest of this week. You, you know, we could see an announcement this weekend, or he could take the visits and decide to wait on it a couple of weeks. Who knows? We'll just have to see how that goes. So, yeah, you know, a lot to look forward to with Arkansas basketball once we find out where they'll be traveling to over the summer. You know, for, you know, the past few seasons with Musk, you know, they always take a trip somewhere. So it'll be interesting to see where the choice is this year, you know, where they're going to go, try to get some experience, some team bonding, and that'll be interesting to see. But with that, we'll take a quick ad break here, and we'll be back with some Arkansas baseball news and talk about the Fayetteville Regional. You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams. And in the clutch, I am able to have the best of both worlds. In the Clutch Apparel is your one-stop shop for all things sports. They have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the NHL, MLB, NFL, and more. They have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond. 
check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Variety Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wise. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at endtheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Variety Sports to get 10% off. And we're back here with this ep- this week's episode of Woo Pig Weekly, and we're going to start covering some Arkansas baseball as you know, Arkansas hosted, you know, the Fayetteville Regional this past weekend where they were the number three seed overall, national seed. And, you know, we said last week on the the pod that, you know, Arkansas got a tough draw with, you know, none of their other teams in this regional were going to be easy pushovers. You know, all these teams were really good. And, you know, Arkansas, you know, we'll get to it, but kind of found that out pretty quickly. But we'll cover Arkansas's first game where they took on – for the four seed Santa Clara Broncos on June 2nd, where Arkansas won this game 13 to 6. You had starter Hunter Holland go two and a third innings with three hits, two runs, two walks, two strikeouts on 49 pitches. So not the best starting uh game for him this season. And then so he was relieved by Will McIntyre, who went five innings, allowed eight hits, three runs, one walk, two strikeouts on 81 pitches. And the game was finished up by Cody Adcock, who went one and two-thirds innings with two hits, one run, two walks, and one strikeout on 50 pitches. Offensively in this game, who else? Kendall Diggs had a three-run single in the fourth to get things started. And then in the bottom of the sixth, you had Yosenberger hit a two-run opposite field home run to add to Arkansas's scores there. And then Yosenberger finished the game two for six with two runs and two RBIs. You had also, Jared Wagner finished with two for four with a run, an RBI, and a walk as well. So, you know, Arkansas was a little slow to get started in this pitching in this first game, but brought in Will Ironman McIntyre to, you know, get through a big chunk of the innings here. So, you know, what what did you see from the Hogs in this first game of the regional? Well, it, it almost seemed like our pitching kind of got started slow and our offense kind of got started slow. Um once we got things rolling, we were able to put up some runs. We got a little bit of help from Santa Clara pitching, obviously. Um, if I remember correctly, they walked in some runs in this game. Um, I think we had bases loaded, and they walked in three straight runs to kind of help give us a little bit of a cushion, if I remember correctly. Um, some of these games kind of blur together. But anyway, um, we did score several runs here, kind of got things going towards the second half of this game on the offensive side of things. Um, it, was, it was a good start. The – I thought Dave Van Horn did a good job pulling Holland early in this game with only 49 pitches. I mean, he wasn't having the best outing, but it wasn't like he was having just a, a scuffle either. And I think the thought process there was, you know, he's not having his – he didn't have the best command. He's done okay, but not great. Let's go ahead and pull him so maybe we can save him if we need him later in the week. I think that was the thought process there. So I don't I don't really question that decision too much. But um, overall, I mean, it wasn't a bad start to the regional. Um things kind of got going a little bit sideways after this. <laughs> yeah, like Seth said, at the the following games after this is where Arkansas's luck kind of shifted and, you know, ultimately, you know, took a turn. But Arkansas advanced to the next round where this this regional is was double elimination. So they took on TCU in the winner's bracket where TCU had previously beat Arizona. But this game was not the prettiest game, and it had very similar feels to when we took on TCU at the beginning of the season down in Houston, where Arkansas fell in this one 20-5. And, you know, that's a score that 
you know, I think nobody likes to see, but when you start looking at pitching, that's kind of where we struggled a little bit and not necessarily like we'd mentioned, we were talking before the show, how, you know, in this game, it wasn't necessarily Hagen Smith having bad stuff, but that it seemed that, you know, TCU was just locked and loaded. So Hagen Smith ended up going one inning, allowing six hits, eight runs, two walks, one strikeout on 42 pitches. This was a game where those eight runs came off of back-to-back grand slams from uh, Trey Richardson from TCU. He was just lighting up this game. So, you know, one inning, 42 pitches in, Dave Van Horn, like Seth said about Hunter Holland, made that call that, you know, he's not got it today. Maybe we need to pull him and, you know, save him for another game. So he was relieved by Zach Morris, who came in for an inning, two hits, three runs, one walk, one strikeout on 25 pitches. Austin Ledbetter, this is the guy you got to talk about in this game that gave Arkansas's pitching a chance for the rest of the weekend. You know, he came in and pitched six innings, allowing nine hits, six runs, zero walks, four strikeouts and 87 pitches. So not necessarily the best line, but the thing you got to look at is he, he was able to give us six innings, especially in a game where we were down big early. So those necessarily six runs didn't necessarily make a whole lot of difference in this game. I mean, you take those away, you know, TCU still scored 14 runs to our five. So, you know, not necessarily anything on him. And then you had Ben Bybee, who we hadn't seen in a quite a bit since really that Georgia game is we hadn't seen him since then, who came in for one inning, four hits, three runs, zero walks, one strikeout on 27 pitches to finish up the game. And then when you flip over to Arkansas side of it on offense, you know, Arkansas did have four home runs in this game. Unfortunately, they were majority solo shots, except for one home run by Josenberger, who was a two-run shot, and then he had also a single solo shot himself. And then Jace Borfin and Harold Cole both had solo shots as well. Josenberger finished this game two for four with three RBIs. So this is kind of where it feels like Arkansas really ran into a buzzsaw here with this red-hot TCU team. I mean, what what's your take on this? Well, first off, and, and we were talking about it a little bit before the show, kind of to your point, I, TCU is probably the best number two seed out there in in the uh, entire field. Um, they were – if they'd have won maybe, you know, three, four more games in their regular season, I think they would have been a, uh, a regional host also. I mean, they won the Big 12. Like you said, they were coming in a red hot. I think they were just a, a – sniff away from hosting themselves. So it was definitely a tough draw to get them, especially considering they'd already seen some of our pitching back, you know, at, at the beginning of the year. Granted, they're a different team now. We're a different team now. I mean, you, you your teams evolve over the course of the season. So I don't – you know, I didn't want to think too much about that matchup we had with them at the beginning of the year. But kind of like you said, this game felt like a repeat, really, of that, that, that game down there in that tournament. Um. We said at the beginning, it didn't really look like Hagen Smith was off. I, I thought he was pitching pretty well as far as he was hitting his spots. He he was throwing balls, painting the corners, and these guys were just smoking them. I, I mean, it. <laughs> there was people speculating they had juiced bats and knew what our signs were. It looked like they were playing a video game on rookie mode. I mean, Hagen Smith would be – he'd throw a devastating slider and they just go down and hit the damn thing out of the park. It was unreal. You got to give TCU credit. They they really had a good approach when it came to hitting the ball. They were 
they were really good about not chasing um, balls out of the zone. They were having really solid contact on balls in the zone, even if they weren't strikes. That you know, if they were still close, those guys were. I mean, they were still putting them in play. They were they're doing a really good job on their hitting approach. So you got to give TCU their credit. I, I don't think that six hits and eight runs that Hagen Smith gave up was due to him pitching poorly. It was just TCU. We it looked like they were out there hitting softballs, man. It was crazy. I mean, we had we had a decent offensive outing ourselves as far as home runs go, but we we couldn't get the guys on base that we needed when we needed them to. And and like you said, I mean, we got down so big early on, it just I think the the gas just kind of fell out of the tank in a hurry for us, and there just wasn't a whole lot of um, drive. I, you got to give credit to the fans; they stuck around most of this game, just hoping and praying we would find a couple of big eight nine run innings. You know, kind of that we were familiar with seeing earlier on in the year, but it just didn't materialize. But definitely got to give TCU credit. They they did play a really good game in this game. Yeah. And so with that, Arkansas was bumped to the loser side of the bracket where, you know, they would face Santa Clara again to, you know, survive in advance or lose and go home where Arkansas found a way to win this game six to four where Brady Tiger got the start in this one. Had his career longest outing with five and two-thirds innings, you know, in his longest outing of the season after recovering from that UCL sprain. He had three hits, three runs, three walks, six strikeouts on 99 pitches, where he was relieved by, again, Will McIntyre came in to give us some clutch relief innings here with two and two-thirds innings, allowing two hits, one run, zero walks, five strikeouts on 57 pitches. And then Hunter Holland came in for the final two-thirds innings with seven pitches to kind of close us out there. In this game, you had Jace Borfin had a first-inning RBI double along with Wagner's 14th home run of the year. You had Kendall Diggs have a two-run blast off the scoreboard, his 12th of the season, and he finished the season you know, after this game with 63 RBIs with a team leading this year. And so this allowed us to, you know, advance to the regional final against TCU. And so, you know, this was a game where I think, you know, pitching – Managing our bullpen was really key here where, you know, we got lucky that Tiger was able to go that five and two thirds innings and McIntyre, you know, hated to necessarily use him where he could have been helpful and against TCU, but we needed to, you know, you had to make this game to even think about that next one. So, you know, seeing him come in and get us through this game was big. So, you know, it's interesting to see how things have shaken up this year with our pitching. Yeah, um, we can talk a little bit more about it after after the the last game's uh, info. But losing Jackson Wiggins for the year, losing Cody Frank for the year, losing uh, Dylan Carter for the year—I mean, that's that's an entire game's worth of pitchers between starter, reliever, closer kind of situation. I mean, obviously, I don't know. If, you would really classify those guys as all three of those things, but it's it's the whole game's worth of pitchers, though, that were arguably some of our better arms, frankly. Um, you keep those guys You throughout the year. You don't have to go to Zach Morris. You don't have to go to Gage Wood. You don't have to go to Christian Fouts. You, you have a little bit more talent there to kind of buffer you through. Um, so injuries this year, I mean, that's definitely the story of the year between our bullpen, our starters, Pitching wise, and then on offense, I mean, we we battled injuries all year long. Um, we'll, we'll cover this last game really quick, where Arkansas went into the uh, the uh, regional finals game one, essentially, 
um, of that final where we had to beat TCU twice and only had to beat us once. And unfortunately, we failed in this game 12-4. Um, Cody Adcock got the start. He went one in the third inning. He had one hit, two runs, one walk, and two strikeouts on 36 pitches. Um, kind of had a little bit of a short leash there, I think, just due to pitching earlier. And then uh, it just seemed like TCU kind of had him figured out. I think they probably made the correct call pulling him when they did. Um, he was relieved by Hagen Smith, who came in and uh, pitched three and two-thirds innings of really good relief, only gave up three hits and one run, um, had two walks and six strikeouts on 67 pitches. I wish we could have got more out of him, but you could tell by the, the end of those 67 pitches he was he was pretty gassed from, from throwing another 40, roughly, um, in that first game against TCU. But it was good to see him have a bounce-back game and actually get some strikeouts recorder and get some good innings in against this TCU team. Um, he was relieved by Zach Morris, and uh, TCU kind of got the ball rolling again against Zach, unfortunately, where he only made it through two-thirds of an inning, gave up three hits, three runs, one walk on 29 pitches. Um, then Gage Wood came in, uh, pitched fairly well, got banged around a little bit towards the end of his outing. He, he pitched one and two-thirds innings where he gave up three, three runs, uh, excuse me, three hits, four runs, had one walk and one strikeout on 32 pitches. And then Christian Fouch finished this out with the, the final two-thirds inning, um, giving up two hits, two runs on nine pitches. Um, so the bullpen was definitely gassed by the end of this game. I mean, TCU scored another 12 runs. I mean, it's it just one of those things where it seemed like every time they were getting up to the plate, they were either getting a, a crazy lucky hit that just somehow found its way down in the outfield or hitting – Moonshot home runs. I mean, they just really did have a good approach to hitting the ball all weekend long. Um, and on the offensive side of the things in this game, Arkansas did strike first with a sack fly from Ben McLaughlin. Uh, we unfortunately had the bases loaded with no outs. He had that sack fly um, to score one, and then we had two consecutive outs after that um, to unfortunately leave the bases loaded, only scoring the one run. So missed opportunity there. We had a missed opportunity in the second inning where I believe we had Runners on first and second with uh, only one out and unfortunately weren't able to play any, either of those guys either. So left several guys on base in this game. Um, Jace Borfren and Jared Wagner had back-to-back -back home runs to give the lead back to the Hogs at, at four to two. Those actually were our only hits of the game were the two home runs. Um, so unfortunately, we just had a hard time getting any base hits together, stringing hits together at all. Um, but the two hits we did have were moonshots that – Got us the lead. We just couldn't hang on to the lead. Um, Jace did finish one for three with two RBIs. And unfortunately, that was the close to the season. So, um, tough draw. You know, I don't know if we can say that enough. It was definitely a tough draw having TCU in our regional. And you throw, you know, maybe a handful of other teams in there in that number two seed spot, and we, we'd be going to Supers right now. But you can wait if yourself to death. We, we, we didn't really play our best. We didn't hit the ball very well the whole regional, even the games against Santa Clara where we won, it, it, it still didn't seem like we really played peak baseball, um, especially not compared to, you know, those, those couple of SEC series before the Vanderbilt series, South Carolina. Um, can't remember the one before that, but where it seemed like we were finally kind of getting the ball rolling again. But anyway, overall, what are your thoughts on the regional as a whole? Yeah, it's like you said, a tough draw. You know, it's like one of those things, TCU is a seed where I think they were the 17th seed, you know, so they should have been really, honestly, a you know, site host. 
And, you know, just a, you know, a little fact of what you're talking before the show turns out after this for supers, you know, not due to any, you know, thing that they did themselves, but they're getting to actually host their super regional due to uh, Indiana state having a prior commitment, you know, something going on where they couldn't host, you know, it just seems like, you know, they, they, they got the win in this regional here and it seems some luck's falling their way, letting them host their own super regional. So, you know, it's like we said before the show, I think, you know, TCU is really setting up to make a really deep run this year, you know, especially being red hot right now and getting to play their supers at home, you know, really tough regional, you know, and I just, I just want to say, you know, I know a lot of people, it, it does suck. We lost, you know, as a host and, but you've got to look at the, consistency our programs had as a whole i know everybody wants that national title but that that's just something that's really extremely hard to win and honestly when you look at it arkansas had a really successful season if you think about it as a whole sure we, we got beat out at regionals at home but you know if you just take us you know look at the season as a whole where we won 43 games we had the best start that arkansas had in a long time as far as just a start to the season you know, we were SEC co-champions, won the West over LSU. I mean, that's a not an easy thing that we were able to do. And we were a number three national seed, ranked in the top 10 all season long, and we're a regional host. So I, I don't think this season is a failure in any sense. Sure, it's a disappointment. We lost in our own regional at home, which that seems to be the focus. But to think what this team did and all these things that we were able to do with all those injuries we'd mentioned, you know, losing essentially a game's worth of pitching, you know, partly before the season even began and really early on in the season as well. I, I think you can't really give Dave Van Horn and the coaches enough credit for how they were able to navigate the season as a whole um, to get those 43 wins and be the SEC West champs, all that. I mean, all the accolades that went along with that. Um, it was unreal, it seemed to me, the – the injuries that kind of came our way. And, and really, I think, you know, a key injury that was in this regional that, in my opinion, was one of the main factors that made our offense seem like it didn't click um, was the loss of Peyton Holt. And um, I think it was game one against Santa Clara had a base hit that uh, he tweaked his back on somehow and he missed the, the next couple games. And uh, so you, you were, we had to shuffle around our infield. Caleb Cali was playing second base, which was not normal for him. You had McLaughlin playing third. So a lot of not normal um, defensive positioning for everybody. And then on top of that, you had, I mean, we, you saw Dave Van Horn shuffle the, uh, the batting order up tremendously in some of these regional games, just trying to figure out how, how to string base hits together. I think that was the hardest thing for us. Um, not having Stovall, not having Holt, it was just—it's definitely a struggle, man. It's just all there is to it. I think Holt had kind of been that spark plug for us that really picked the team up and carried us through the last few um, SEC series of the year. And it seemed like whenever he was in, got inserted into that lineup for Stovall, is when it almost felt like all of our cylinders started firing again. We we had just gotten. Josenberger back, just gotten Wagner back, and Peyton Holt was lighting it up, making stellar plays. It just seemed like the team was starting to kind of roll the right direction, and then he unfortunately tweaks his back, and <laughs> we lost the ability to get a base hit after that. It was pretty wild, but yeah, that's so, true. But overall, as as a whole, to be able to combat those injuries, even through regionals, I mean, it's just you, you got to give a lot of credit to the coaches, especially Van Horn. 
Um, I've seen people, you know, frustrated with Nate Thompson or Matt Hobbs saying we, we can't pitch or we can't hit. And I mean, yeah, we've had games where we've struggled, but you, you got to look at the whole season as a whole. And, and to your point, I think you could really call this season a success, especially with the adversity that we faced. And that's true. And I think so now you got to essentially look at what's next, you know, what guys are we losing? So we know for sure Jared Wagner's gone. You know, he was a grad transfer that came over from Creighton. You know, there's several other guys that there's got question marks out there. And, you know, even though it's just fresh, you know, season was over just yesterday. You know, Hunter Holland went on the Out of Bounds show on 103.7 The Buzz with John Neighbors. You know, he and he was quoted as saying he's got a lot of thinking, a lot of thinking to do on a lot of things. But don't be surprised if I'm in a Razorback uniform again next season. You know, I think that's something, you know, we don't need to overanalyze and be like, oh, for sure, yes, he's coming back. But I think that's something to give you, you know, a great idea of, like, that he wants to come back bad enough that that's a realistic thing compared to him going in the draft where I think he's projected, you know, not super high but not super late either. I think he's, you know, he feels like maybe there's some unfinished business there about the way the season ended. You know, and if he is back, you know, that would give us, you know, a, I feel like a great set of starters with Tiger, Hagen Smith, and, you know, Holland back. And then you got to think, does, is McIntyre back? You know, is does Wiggins, I feel like he's almost a 50-50. A lot of people think he's gone. And, you know, they're saying, you know, with that Tommy John, you've we've heard it from several guys, that that's almost a two-year recovery time where, you know, he's been out since the beginning of this season. So if even if he were to come back, is he really back to himself full strength next year? I think we'll have to kind of wait and see on, on how a lot of these guys shake out. I mean, there, there is always that potential, you know, you get drafted and still are able to return. Um, I think if I remember correctly, it's a little bit different than like basketball where you get drafted. If you leave your name in the draft, kind of like we've been talking about all the last few weeks around staying in the draft or coming back and all that kind of stuff. Um, baseball's a little bit different there. So these guys will definitely have a lot of options to weigh. Um, at least the ones that have eligibility left. Um, so it it would be great to get some of these pitchers back that that really kind of helped carry us this year, especially when when things got tough with some of the injuries. Um, I'm I'm curious to see. I, I don't know much about Cody Frank, how much eligibility he had left. I need to look that up. I, I would love to see him back and have a bounce back year. I, I, just the way he looked at the beginning of the year. I saw him being one of our main guys, one of our main relievers all year. I mean, he he looked like the main reliever that we were going to go to um, kind of in those like Friday night situations when Hagen or Holland or whoever we were starting that night, you know, gets five or six innings in. It looked like Cody Frank was going to be the, the next guy to go to to either relieve a few innings or close the game out potentially in, on three or four good innings. You never know, but um, we'll have to look into kind of who all still has eligibility, where where people's draft projections are, all that kind of stuff. And I, uh, I would love to see a lot of these guys come back next year, try to run it back a little bit, and maybe have a different result in regionals. And with the uh, the signing class that's coming in next year being ranked number one in the nation, I, I'm not sure who all of those guys are actually going to make it to Fayetteville. You know, a lot of those guys are going to get drafted as well right out of high school and and depending on who all comes kind of like that Stovall situation, he, he definitely could have not come to the university. So maybe he can kind of be that, that example for some of those guys that are on the fence of, do I want to just go ahead and go to the pros or do I want to go play for the university of Arkansas for a couple of years? Um, maybe some guys can look at some of the successes, some of the success that Stovall's had and 
use that as an example, and we can keep a lot of those guys that have got us that number one ranking. Um, so you get a couple of those fresh faces coming in, mixed with some of the guys that are going to stick around on offense. I mean, it's it's just like every year in baseball. Somehow Dave Van Horn finds a way to reload and put a team put a team together that has the potential to be even better than last year's team. It always feels like that. There's there's always unlimited potential with the the rosters that he puts together. That's very true. And I think I did see somewhere that I think Cody Franks already said he's coming back. You know, I think he he got a red shirt for that, you know, getting injured so early in the season. I think it was maybe just barely a couple weeks into the season that, you know, he would come out in relief and, you know, you saw him throw a pitch and something did not look right. Trainers came out, had him throw another one and, you know, he was done, ended up tearing that muscle in his back. So, you know, we wish him a speedy recovery. And I think with him back next year, that gives us a good veteran arm as far as a reliever. And, you know, like we said, not sure who's going to be back, not sure who's going to be, as far as this recruiting class, who's going to be actually make it to campus since the, you know, major league drafts middle of the summer before guys get to campus. That's one of the, you know, oddest things about the draft is it's before guys get on campus. Whereas, you know, usually the other two drafts are after a season kind of thing. It's interesting how baseball works. But like we said, you know, Dave Van Horn's one of those guys. He doesn't have to re- really rebuild. He just reloads. Like you said, and a lot of people harp on Hobbs and Thompson as, you know, oh, we struggle pitching, oh, we struggle hitting. You know, they, you know, they're, they're not they're not the ones on the plate or on the mound throwing the balls or, you know, making the swings. Like, you know, they're teaching these guys what they need to do. They they can't help it if sometimes they struggle or like, I don't think like this year, as far as pitching, I've seen some people say, well, you know, what's, is Matt Hobbs doing something wrong? Is that why all these guys are getting hurt? I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can blame him. You, I mean, injuries are, you can't predict them. And, you know, there's not one root cause to why guys are getting hurt like that. No, not at all. And I, I, I think one thing you got to mention, I know we kind of covered the game already, but that, that game, two against TCU where we lost 12 to four and only had two hits with both of them being home runs. If if you watch that game, we had four or five, maybe six really loud, hard outs, line drive balls that, I mean, if they were hit 10 feet to the left, 10 feet to the right, that, I mean, it, it seemed like their center fielder was just always in the right spot to catch a hard liner. He had a diving catch that really should have been a base hit or it would have been a double probably. Um, he had another one where he was able to kind of come in on a, a really hard hit line drive and scoop it off the ground, just barely not letting it hit the ground to uh, rob a base hit from Josenberger. I mean, th- there were some really well hit balls in that game that just weren't, we just didn't get the lucky breaks for them to fall and be base hits. Um, so I, if you get a couple of those go your way, we probably score a few more runs a game. I still don't know if we win, um, but it, it, we definitely don't finish with only two hits though. And so I, Sometimes it just doesn't go your way. You, you can't let one bad, one or two bad games at the end of the year where we didn't hit the ball too well be a uh, a negative factor around the, the coaching staff. So I think if you look at our year as a whole, I don't think our stats were just off the charts as far as hits per game, runs per game, things like that, but they certainly weren't in the basement either, though. I mean, there's a reason we won 43 games. Yeah. And so, you know, with that being said, you know, I think we got to get there's I got to give a big shout out to Brady Slavens. You know, he was a guy that, you know, you've seen it going around social media yesterday. He was a guy that, you know, walking around the park, you know, touching 
all the the years on the the outfield wall that we were part of, whether it be SEC tournaments, championships, you know, Omaha, you know, you know, uh, regionals, whatever it may be, touching every year he was a part of it, you know, just didn't really want to leave the ballpark, you know, get out of that Razorback jersey. You know, I think he's, you know, been one of my favorite players here recently that, you know, his, you know, he could have easily left after this year, but he wanted to come back because he knew this team could potentially make a run. You know, he was there in Omaha back last year, you know, when we, you know, made it to Omaha and ended up losing against Ole Miss. So he understood what it took. I think it's a big thing to see. You know, a guy like that, you know, hate to leave and, you know, for his season and his college career to end like this. Yeah, I hate it for him. Um, I mean, all good things do have to come to an end. Can't play college forever, but it, it, it does. Those guys that, that come in play for, you know, two, three, four, five years, kind of depending on how their eligibility shakes out, they they get – an attachment built more so than just the the guys that transfer in maybe in their senior year, if they have an eligibility left or something after they graduate from a different university, they, the fans get attached, they get attached to the fans, they get attached to the, the coaches, all that. So I know it's definitely going to be tough for him to move on, but definitely appreciate everything that he, all the time he put in everything that he devoted to the program. I mean, I thought he was an exemplary person on and off the field. Um, I, I've never heard anything bad about the guy. So he was always fun to watch. You never knew whenever he was going to pop off and smoke one about 430. Um, the guy could hit the ball. That's for sure. It's fun to watch him play. And got to give him a lot of credit. He was one of the better first basemen defensively um, in the SEC this year. He, he didn't get talked about enough, didn't get enough credit as far as his defensive play at first base, I don't think. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, with that, you know, some upcoming events, as you know, like I said, we're getting to the dead period here, but, you know, upcoming events, you know, as we finish up kind of really big things going on is you've got Arkansas men's and women's competing this week down in Austin uh, for NCAA championships. So, you know, there's a chance for Arkansas to bring back two more national titles for track and field, which, you know, if earlier this year is any, any, any indicator when we won the indoor title for both men's and women's, you know, that chance is pretty high. So, you know, we'll root for them this weekend as we get ready to go. And then coming up on our Hog Talk segment this week, we're going to have Michael Bratton, a.k.a. SEC Mike on Twitter. You know, he ho- he's the host of that SEC podcast. He's had previous stops with the NFL and Fox Sports, and he's also appeared on the Paul Feinbaum show. So get ready to have Michael Bratton join the show and talk some Arkansas sports. All right, we are excited to welcome into this week's Hog Talk segment, SEC Mike from that SEC podcast. Welcome in, Mike. How's it going? Hey, doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, always a great time talking some Arkansas football. Yeah, so with that, you know, we'll kind of get jumped right in here. So, you know, what what is your kind of overview of Sam Pittman and where he has this program right now? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's no secret. I'm a Pittman super fan out there. I mean, every opportunity, that that doesn't mean if, uh, you know, I can be critical too. I think it's important not to just, you know, kiss someone's ass all the time. Sorry for cursing already, but uh, it's late in the afternoon. But no, I love Sam Pittman and obviously the, the previous coach, which we shall not even mention his name, but it was such a train wreck. And right away from the very first game, I mean, you could see the attitude was different, the effort, toughness, competitive spirit. 
I mean, that's what you want. That's what an Arkansas fan wants is, is just that toughness. Just don't quit. Don't give in. At the very least, be competitive. I mean, it, the expectations are incredibly high for Arkansas. They, they should always be that way, but uh, they clearly weren't previously. And, yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I think one bad thing, and I still have kind of this, this left a sour taste in my mouth, is just kind of how last season ended and not even necessarily on the field because I think we get a little too wrapped up in uh, the record, which that may sound silly, but really it's just critical missteps, losing one-score games. They lost the majority of those games last year, and the record was not as good. They won those games two years ago, and the record was great. So was there a big difference? I don't really think so, but where there was a potential issue was in the locker room, and I don't think that's a secret. And you see a ton of guys leaving the program. You see coaches leaving the program. Now, I think they have filled those holes as best as they can via the transfer portal and, and obviously new hires. But um, Arkansas is a mystery to me right now. And I've been very high on Arkansas in the past. I'm not as high. It doesn't mean I, I think, you know, we need to run Pittman off or anything. But I'm just not ready to sit here and say that uh, I think they can compete for the West title, which – I thought was a realistic thing last year, but um, you know they got the pieces to be competitive in, in nearly every game they play this fall. That, that was one thing we uh, kind of mentioned a little bit in some of our previous episodes. It's the, the way they were able to reload a little bit of the the defensive side of things with all the the cornerbacks that we added, where we were really um, depleted last year for one thing with injuries, and then just maybe not as talented as we talented as we should have been. We're all curious to kind of see how our, our defensive side of things shakes out. And then you still got KJ and Rocket, so you've got some consistent pieces there. But the, the rest of the offense with so many different wide receivers, you know, you got Sategna and then the, uh, the recent transfer, I forget his name now, who is also a track star. So a lot of speed, a lot of uh, new faces at tight end, and Danny knows who likes to use tight end. So there's a whole lot of questions in the air, and that's one thing we've, we've kind of talked about as well. The sky's the limit, but – Seems like that floor could be really low too, just kind of depending on the way things go. Right, and it just certainly doesn't help that uh, got a taste of success two years ago, and now you want that all the time. But that is not exactly life in the SEC, unless you're uh, Georgia or Alabama. And heck, I mean, Nick Saban's even losing games these days. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, a lot of fans, you know, even myself, you know, seeing how last year went, especially, you know, like you said, two years ago, whenever we, you know, we played Alabama right down to the last minute there and, you know, super high expectations last year. But, you know, when you have a squad, especially on the defensive side, that's decimated by injury, you know, you can't predict that or help that. And I think, you know, we did the best with, you know, what we could, but I know we talked about in previous episodes where, like you said, there was a few of those one score games last year and, you know, a few of them were, you know, KJ was out, like, you know, the game that comes to mind to me is that LSU matchup that we had at home where if KJ would have been in that game, I feel pretty confident that we would have won that game instead of, you know, with Malik Horns behind, behind center. Right. And if uh, football doesn't hit the upright or not the top of the upright, I don't know. I've ever seen that in my life with a super reliable kicker. That is just, I mean, those are the breaks that you can't, you just can't foresee, you know, and it's just, that's, um, I'm a Tennessee graduate, but I feel like Arkansas is is like our twin from the West. It's, it just feels like we're tormented to have all these these crazy, sad things go our way year in and year out. Yeah, the, the big one that comes to my mind from last year that I think 
it, it almost set the tone for the season to start shifting sideways was the the uh I think it was second and goal, maybe first and goal, something like that in the Texas AM game where we're diving from the three yard line and fumble on the goal line. It gets returned about ninety seven yards for a touchdown. It was like a fourteen point swing in that game. And it almost seemed like that was the moment in our season. It was definitely the moment in that game that everything changed. And I let AM kind of back into it. It just seemed like from that point on the rest of the season, we just we didn't have that killer mentality. It's like one play to me, really, it's almost like it set the tone mentally for us. Yeah, if only KJ was 10 feet tall, he would have scored on that play. But uh, he's a hell of a player, but he's he's not – he's obviously not that big. Yeah, and so when you kind of start looking into this this upcoming season, you know, I think, you know, and a lot of media has already, you know, brought a lot of attention to KJ. You know, he's one of the, I think, few veteran quarterbacks that's been around the league for several years. You know, you had several, you know, we, we said it in, you know, an earlier podcast that, you know, you had – a handful of top quarterbacks leave the league for the draft this year. And, you know, you still have KJ coming back. And so, you know, we really feel like this year could be the year KJ really can take the SEC by storm really and kind of show and improve his draft stock. And, you know, so what do you think about what KJ's outlook for this season could be? Well, yeah, it was funny when um, I'm trying to think of when this was, I guess it would have been two seasons ago when he first became the starter and, I think it was 24-7 sports named him uh, the, the worst quarterback in the SEC. And, man, did I have a good time with that because I put him in the top three then. So you can only imagine what I think of him now. I think he's the best quarterback in the SEC. He's, he's been one of the best, and he's not been banged up. I mean, his stats would have been even more impressive. I, I think he had 33 touchdowns. Uh, I think that combines rushing as well, but and only five interceptions last year. So he's highly efficient. He's just a beast. I mean, he's he's essentially a fullback when he takes off and runs. So, yeah, I mean, there's not a quarterback that I would want to go to war with more in the SEC than K.J. Jefferson. Uh, only question is that he has. I know Kendall Bryles is not a, always a popular name with uh, the Arkansas fans, but playing in that system and now going to Dan Enos, it's very different. So there there is a concern there. It's a minor concern because, obviously, Dan Enos, he's had success in the SEC, at Miami, Alabama, uh, where was he at Maryland before? So it's not like this guy doesn't know what he's doing, but, uh, and clearly the connection with Jalen Hurts is what kind of all Arkansas fans are looking to, particularly after Jalen Hurts, what he's done to the NFL. But if they can do something similar with KJ, and how could you not buy in if you're KJ because you're sitting here looking at Jalen Hurts, as long as he buys in, as long as he transitions to it, who knows? I mean, the best could be yet to be seen from KJ Jefferson, which is scary. There's a, there's just a slight concern that I have that maybe he doesn't fit it. And, you know, that's not that's something we just don't sit around and, and think about in the offseason because it's kind of negative. But that would be my only possible concern. And, and it, maybe it's not even KJ. Maybe it's just the entire offensive system and all those pieces not fully being uh, on the same page, so to speak, in their first time uh, transitioning to a new offense. That's definitely been my concern, too. I mean, you've got a new coach, kind of a new scheme. I, I think he's going to probably have some similarities in, in uh, some of the play calls, but it, it is definitely a different scheme than than Browse. Very option-heavy. I don't think Enos is quite as option-heavy. Um, but then the, the biggest concern for me for KJ is just the new faces. Um, he's got so many different guys to try to build that chemistry with where – 
doesn't have a whole lot of returning faces to throw to. I think, to me, I, I think that's more my biggest concern rather than Enos's coaching style and all that kind of stuff for him to transition to is just building the chemistry with all the new guys. Could right. go great, could go bad. I mean, it's, it's right, right, and, and particularly at tight end, I think that is. You're right. Receivers completely new. They they've kind of they basically retooled that a year ago, and they had a lot of success. So that gives me confidence that uh, clearly they know how to do that. Um, the different style guys. Though last year it was it, it was a bunch of tall guys that were I don't want to call them slow because uh, Hazelwood and Matt Landers were in the top ten in SEC in receiving yards. So they clearly were not slow players. But now they're going to a ultra fast receiver. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. But but going back to what I was saying about the the offense and, and breaking it in, the good news is you got some very winnable games against teams you should dominate early in the season before you get to SEC play. So any kind of hiccups, you know, you've got a, almost a month before you get to SEC play to kind of work those out. So that is something that, um, you know, that would make me uh, happy if I'm an Arkansas fan that we got so many non-conference matchups to, to open the season. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of the schedules, taking a look at that, you know, what do you think for, you know, you looking at Arkansas' schedule, what would you, you know, kind of rank essentially as the top three games that you think are the biggest games for Arkansas this season? Um, I guess it really just depends on what you're asking. Like, if I'm an Arkansas fan, which ones do I want to win the most? Which ones define the season the most? How exactly would you define that? I think I would say just games, you know, not necessarily from an Arkansas fan, but just from a football fan or even like, you know, you know, perspective of like, say you're grading this, this team and how the season goes, like the, the key games are going to be most for Arkansas that, you know, really would help their momentum and swing their way if they could get wins in those games. Gotcha. Uh, because I, w- I was going to put Alab- add Alabama number one on the list, but again, I don't think we should be defining anybody on how they do against Alabama and Tuscaloosa. That's just such a, a difficult feat. But, uh, to, you know, to, to go about it the way you're saying it, Texas A&M, that's probably top of the list. As that's a crossroads game. Uh, it seems like whenever Arkansas beats A&M, that's, you know, when they have their better season. So that's very near the top. I think that trip to Florida late in the season, because I don't think Florida is going to be very good. I think Arkansas is catching Florida at the best possible time in, in my lifetime, really, to to be catching the game, uh, the Gators in the swamp, no less. It's late in the season, won't be as humid. So, again, that uh, plays in Arkansas's favor. Uh, but but it, it's a tricky game because who knows? Florida, maybe, maybe they go on a little bit of run. They have some momentum, so you just can't completely overlook it. That's, that's somewhat of a trap game in my mind. And then the other one, I think, is Auburn. And maybe you could say Missouri, but I think Arkansas fans expect to win Missouri at home. So let's go with Auburn because I think that could really that could be a really nice rivalry coming up here with Hugh Freeze back. Uh, I'm not I'm I'm kind of bought in on Auburn a little bit. Uh, now I think it's important whenever there's a new coach in your division. Of course, divisions are going away, but I think it's very important that you keep those teams that are already below you below you. Otherwise. If Hugh Freeze comes in year one into Fayetteville, which he did with his Liberty team, if he's able to take Auburn on the road and beat Arkansas, what are we going to be saying a year from now? I mean, it's almost going to be like an automatic loss, I would think, playing Auburn 
in year two on the plane. So games like that, I think, are critical. If you beat A&M, you beat Auburn, you beat Florida, I mean, we're probably talking of nine-win season. At least seven or eight, I think, at that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I always want to count that Missouri game in my head as a win, and it seems like it never pans out how I expect it to. So I'm trying to learn this year maybe not to count that one as a win, just, just looking early on. Um, and then really the the other one to me that really stands out is one that's – I'm not going to say critical that we win it, but it seems like kind of to your point, stay on top while you're on top is Ole Miss. seems like they're always on the cusp of having a crazy year with Lane Kiffin. I mean, they're – they're always dynamic. I'll give them that. So if we can if we can continue our little bit of a streak against them, I think that one's pretty critical. Also, don't let them gain any ground if we can keep from it. Yeah, and that's that is always such a fun series too. I mean, it's wild games. A lot of them go down to the wire. Probably should have beat them three in a row had uh, had they been able to convert on a two point conversion two years ago. But yeah, that, that's a good one. I consider it, but it's on the road, so. You want to win it, but if you lose that on the road in the SEC, I feel like that's a little bit more uh, forgiving. Of course, there's no forgiving losses in the SEC. We know that. <laughs> Preach it. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm gonna. I, I want to switch it up on a question for you here. We we talked about it uh, a couple episodes back now, if I remember correctly. On you mentioned it earlier too, even on the way Alabama's lost a couple games. Um, what what are your thoughts on the way the NIL and the transfer portal have worked in, worked in tandem to give teams like Arkansas, Ole Miss, um, you know, Tennessee, even um, a, a little bit more of a competitive edge to compete against some of these powerhouse teams like Georgia and Alabama? Yeah, I love it, and the fact that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart seem to be the two that hate it the most should give you an indication because. They've been using NIL for about 50 years. They've just been calling it something else. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that, the, you know, people get upset when a player leaves, and it's, it is because of NIL. You know, when you lose a good player, they jump in the portal, and they're at somewhere else the next day. That's NIL. I mean, let's, let's just call it what it is. But um, I don't know there's a way to police that. And if you're in the SEC, you got big-time donors, step up and, and come to the plate. I mean, this is, this is essentially – I don't want to call it pro football, but it's the closest thing to pro football that's that's not the NFL. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you, people that get upset about the players getting paid, I mean, go go to high school or or go watch Sunbelt football. You know what I mean? So that doesn't bug me that much. I, I think some of the numbers being thrown around are fake, but I'm sure some of them are real, uh, particularly high school players getting paid a bunch of money. I'm not, not a big fan of that, but based on everything I'm hearing, that uh, while there was a lot of that initially, most of the NIL, like 90% of it, goes to getting players, uh, you know, kind of like free agents out of the transfer portal. But more than any, anything else, it's keeping your players from jumping in the portal. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people are against that. But, man, it was about 20 years ago I found out that the NCAA was getting paid a billion dollars with a B to air the NCAA March Madness tournament. I think it's like $2 billion now per year. We can't pretend like there's not money flowing everywhere here. So at some point, it was going to filter down to the players. Yeah, that's true. And I think you see great examples of, you know, the way this transfer portal has really, you know, 
been beneficial to Arkansas. Just last year, you know, you see Drew Sanders, you know, was a starter at Alabama, got hurt, lost his spot, you know, came over to Arkansas and, you know, was a stud and, you know, got drafted third round this year. And then I think a potential for that this year is you see, you know, Singletary that he's a, you know, freshman DB that transferred over from Georgia. That was a five-star guy that he was buried on the depth chart and wanted to come somewhere where he could get some playing time. So, I mean, I think that's where you see programs like Arkansas starting to benefit from, you know, transfer portal and NIL. Right. And don't forget Jadon Hazelwood, Matt Landers. Uh, before that, it was John Ridgeway. I mean, he had an offer from about every SEC program. Uh, I mean, this is this, this is nothing new. And I, I think it's funny that uh, I kind of forgot. I say a lot of stuff, so I forget about half the things I say. But they call Lane Kiffin the portal king. The real portal king is Sam Pittman, in my opinion, because he's taking players in and getting them to the NFL, getting the most out of them at the SEC level at a lot better clip than Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin just signs 30 guys and then gets you know 10 of them to, to perform well. It seems like Arkansas has really mastered identifying guys that can help and getting the most out of them. Uh, via the transfer portal. And, and I think that's great because I, in years past, uh, Sam Pittman would have had to wait. You know, we couldn't really grade him till like year three, year four. Now, uh, you know, there, there are no rebuilds because if you got deficiencies, you just find players that uh, can play at a lower level. And, and hey, if, if they're dominating at that level and want to play at the SEC, I, I don't understand why that would be a problem. Yeah. Reload instead of rebuild. I think that's kind of everybody's mentality in the SEC lately. Um, mm-hmm. I think one play you got to mention, too, while we're on the list of mentioning guys that, that have really come out of the transfer portal, helped us out, and one that's returning is Landon Jackson. Came out of LSU, if I remember, excuse me, remember correctly. Yep. Had a pretty solid year last year, and he's, he's still going to be kind of leading that defensive line this year, if I remember right. Um, I don't know if they're shifting around his positions or anything with who all else is coming in out of the portal and, and new faces, but I'll be excited to kind of see him step up, maybe lead the defense to an extent. Yeah. And he was a guy that you kept hearing so much about during spring and that excites you. But at, at the same time, then you're like, Oh God, do we not have an offensive line? Cause apparently he was blowing up every practice, but no, let's stay with the positive. He, it sounds like he's going to be a demon off the edge. Um, in his second year with the Razorbacks, and you're right, he was he was at LSU as a touted recruit. But again, that's that's case in point. Sam Pittman and company identifying someone in the portal that could help them. Um, there was that Arkansas LSU trade we had two two off seasons ago with with a bunch of guys, and uh, I think LSU won that initially. But uh, I don't know Dwight McLaughlin. He I mean he's awesome. So if Landon Jackson has a big year, then I then I would flip it and say Arkansas won that trade. Yeah, and I think that's a big key piece that's going to be back for Arkansas this year. It is is McLaughlin, you know, being a leader in that secondary with a lot of fresh faces. You know, we talked about it several times over that, you know, we really – that's one thing that I really enjoyed about Sam Pittman. He sees those deficiencies and goes out and, you know, tackles tackles them head first. You know, he brought in easily, I think, eight-plus, you know, secondary players – you know, because that's where our weakness was last year on the defense. And you saw, you know, that's what killed us in a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, basically the moment Jalen Catalan went down again, I hate to see that because he one of my all-time favorite Razorbacks, at least in recent history. So, man, it sucks to think that he's gone and suiting up for another team. But, you know, if he can't stay on the field, 
Mm, man, that's tough. So, yeah, you got to add pieces. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling here. But, yeah, you have to attack that. And, and again, that that is – they've already proven that they can do a good job of identifying secondary players, bringing over Coach Woodson from Florida State, who I believe led the country in passing yards uh, average defense. So, uh, I mean, it literally can't get any worse. I think Arkansas was dead last in the country in that uh, statistic. Yeah, and I think you see, you know, Arkansas did a good job of bringing in a combination of players. You brought in, you know, for two transfers from that have experience from Baylor. You know, you see young guys with a freshman we got coming in, you know, that transfer from Georgia that was a freshman. You know, you see a great mix of, you know, veteran guys that have some experience, but also super young, talented guys. So I, I think that's a great sign for, you know, not only helping immediately this season, but also, you know, setting yourself up for success down the road. Yeah, and you know another thing that uh, as we're kind of sitting here talking, I like the fact that uh, Arkansas when they bring in their transfers, most of them have multiple years of eligibility. To your point, where it's where it's setting you up down the line, it's not just one and done. I mean that that seems to be an Alabama Georgia type move where you're where you're kind of bringing in a free agent to to shore up a deficiency. But uh, yeah, I, again, I mean. You could argue that that sucks for high school players because they're not getting, they're not signing as many, they're not coming in and they're not being developed, but there's just no time. I mean, if you want to get nothing but high school prospects and win six games, you know, as a coach, you're, you're going to be gone before long. So you have to bring in guys that can contribute immediately and hopefully will contribute for years to come. I think you're going to start to see a development um, kind of similar to TC in, in baseball where you got guys coming out of high school that if they're not a five-star player or, or a pretty highly tied four-star, you know, some arguable three-stars, they're going to go JUCO route, you know, D2 schools, maybe some smaller D1s, things like that, have a couple good years and then transfer up. I think you're going to kind of start to see that farm system mentality that you see in baseball quite often. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, that to me looks like kind of the route that this is going to shape out over the next five to 10 years. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see even more and more of that as the years kind of pass on and that starts to be the mold. Yeah, and with Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC, the rest of the country may be the farm system for the SEC. (laughs) Pretty true. We'll have some outliers like Ohio State, Michigan, uh, maybe a couple others out there in the the ACC, but (laughs) that's that's a pretty good good point. Yeah, and so, you know, when you think about it, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism going around Arkansas season this year, especially, you know, we were able to, as, you know, not as great as we thought last season would go, you know, to cap it off with a bowl win, you know, you know, make those bowl games, get those wins, you know. I think we see, you know, the culture that Pittman's built here. And, you know, I think if you, you know, it says, what, third, fourth year, you know, that's when – coaches really start getting into their groove of, you know, building a program, getting guys established. And I think so we're going to see a lot of optimism for this upcoming season. And, you know, I myself am excited, you know, can't wait to see, you know, where this season is going to go. Yeah. Well, my buddy, um, I don't know if you guys know Braden Gall, he works for Athlon Sports, but he says, you know, this is the only time he can remember he's been covering SEC for, 20 years that basically everybody in the sec is happy and it's kind of weird when you sit back and think about it because he he might be right 
but hey, we're all happy in June. <laughs> Just wait till you drop one you're not supposed to or you get embarrassed in conference play. Oh, man, that'll turn real quick. So, I mean, Sam Pittman was one of the most popular coaches in the country. Uh, and again, they were not god-awful last year, but it was disappointing. And there was people, crazy people, calling for him to to be let go. So it can it can turn on you quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I know personally from being at the games, you know, I think I heard more people calling for, you know, Bryles to go than Sam Pittman just because of, you know, not terrible. You know, he had some great play calls, but, you know, everybody likes to harp on those those bad decisions, you know, a reverse on third and 12, or, you know, you try to run a swing pass on, you know, third and 10, you know, sure, you try to work some of that trickery, but you got to prove you can actually run regular offense before you try to, you know, in a sense, catch somebody off guard. And, you know, people got their wish. He, he tried to, you know, get himself some more money and he, he pushed a little bit too hard and Sam Pittman said, all right, hit the road. And, you know, he, he already had essentially, you know, some speed dial worked with him before, you know, this being his second stint at Arkansas. So, you know, I think you see some, you know, consistency with this program about what Sam Pittman's wanting out of his, you know, coaches that are going to be there with him. Yeah. Th just thankful that uh, Kendall Browse is TCU's problem now, you know what? He kind of scares me being down there in the Big 12 where, where there's no defense anyways. He's going to put up a 1,000 yards every game with those guys. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they'll be fun to watch, but I'm, I'm sure they'll have their own struggles to deal with too. Yeah, and probably a scandal or two. Who knows? <laughs> Jesus, probably not wrong. <laughs> uh, well, hey, uh, Mike, I want to get your take on the, the upcoming schedule changes. You, you mentioned it briefly earlier. Um, the way the divisions are going to go away. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? How do you think that's all going to shake out? I know there's a lot of speculation kind of going forward on, I know they confirmed that it's only going to be eight games, if I remember correctly, in uh, 2024. Yeah. Conference games, so they're not adding a conference game, even though they're adding some teams in. So what's your expectations around that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because I've been fully on board with nine games, but, um, you know, that's mainly to preserve rivalries because I'm a, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, these rivalry, these key games, that's what makes college football great. That's why I love it. Uh, but everybody shifts towards the playoff. I, I hate it. I mean, people always ask me, what's your playoff teams? I'm like, I don't have any because I don't want to talk playoffs till late November. You know what I mean? Like when you do that, you're, you're disrespectful to a lot of the, the games on the schedule. And I think every one of them is important. So in that regard, and, and was speaking with people, I don't know. I mean, I thought for sure it would be a certainty that we'd be moving to nine, but if they stay at eight, as lame as that kind of is, the SEC is going to guarantee more playoff spots. So I don't know what people care more about. Do they care more about, you know, more matchups or do they care more about more playoff berths? And I think that is the, the debate aside from obvious money, how much money can they get from ESPN for an extra conference game for adding Texas and Oklahoma, they can't get the money. If they can't get the money, they're not going to, they're not going to budge. So we'll see what comes of that, but I don't know. It, it, I'm just so torn on it because I think it's so stupid to have Texas and Texas A&M in the same conference and them not play annually. 
but that's probably what we're going to get if we stay at eight games. And, and there's other examples, Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Auburn. We're probably not going to have those games annually if we stay at eight. Yeah, that, that was definitely my thought too. I, I think maybe give it 15, 20 years and it, it might kind of work out where you have um, some newer rivalries solidify. I know everybody's been pushing really hard to, to turn this Arkansas-Missouri game into a rivalry and I – I, I just don't think it's there yet. I, I think a lot of people are pushing hard for that to be a rivalry. I don't think a lot of the fans really consider that game a rivalry game. I know I really don't. Maybe I should. Don't know. Um, but with the the new style that they're kind of setting up, where I think you're only going to have three. I think it was only three teams that you do play on an annual basis. Um, and then the the other five games is always a, a strange rotation that I'm not fully sure how that's going to work yet um it'll i think it'll end up making some different rivalries than are currently in place and not sure i like that but i guess we'll see where it goes so it sounds like you're a big eli drinkwitz fan (laughs) (laughs) not at all really (laughs) guy kind of creeps me out i'm not gonna lie (laughs) come on he gets his he gets his hair cut at kmart come on well i don't even know if they do they have kmart anymore i don't think they do I was about to say, Seth, you kind of hit my soapbox there. You know, <laughs> as much as they try to force that rivalry, you can't make a trophy and call a game a rivalry game and it'd be a rivalry. You know, deep down, I grew up, you know, Arkansas's rivalry game was LSU and playing for the Golden Boot. I mean, and I hate that they took it away from the day after Thanksgiving game. That was, you know, a great thing to watch every year. And then, you know, oh, hey, let's change it and call Missouri our new rivals. And, you know, that's something that I, I can't stand. But, you know, what can you do about it? Yeah, it's kind of lame. But I wonder if LSU, do they consider Arkansas rivals? So, I mean, they've, they've started one with A&M now. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it, And and really their key rival is Alabama. So, you know, once LSU starts, you start racking up all of LSU's rivalries, then maybe maybe that was the logic there is, is you know, how – how far down the totem pole for LSU is Arkansas. But yeah, I mean, whatever they're, whatever they're going to decide, no one was ultimately going to be happy with on all sides, if that makes sense. I think the the one thing I'm excited about, I mean, just to kind of flip the coin here, uh, is the potential to have more matchups with Texas, kind of renew that rivalry. I know it may not be an every year type of thing, but uh, I know the games that we have played them, we, we played them in a bowl game. Uh, 2015-ish, can't remember, stomped them. Um, mm-hmm. And then obviously playing them at home two years ago. Um, I know those were some of the most watched, most attended, hyped-up games, you know, and, and, and we don't even play in the same conference. So there's definitely a lot of potential now that they are in the SEC. I think that rivalry could get a little bit of a renewal. So it may be kind of take the sting away from us losing some of our other – rivalry considered type games so i we'll see it's it's going to be a uh, definitely a big change but hopefully most of the fans can embrace the change instead of fight the change i know i'm going to try to as much as some of it i don't like <laughs> yeah and i want to see arkansas face tennessee because uh man th- those battles in my mentions are crazy but uh i i much prefer the battles on the field than uh, in my mentions yeah when you talk about <laughs> tennessee I always flash back to, you know, that that great play by Arkansas great Joe Adams. That That's a, always a standout play when you uh, talk about Arkansas, Tennessee. 
Yeah, thanks for reminding me. Yep, that's like a nightmare annually. <laughs> I love bringing that up. I've got a, a really good buddy that's an Ole Miss fan. And I, every 4th and 25, I send him a text. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, here's your annual reminder. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. That, my favorite part of that is Hugh Freeze celebrating while the play was still alive. Yeah, kind of crazy with all these, how these games and stuff turn out. And so, you know, we'll kind of start wrapping up here. And, you know, we, we thank you for, you know, taking the time to join the show. So, you know, feel free to let some of our listeners know where they can find you at and, you know, where they can catch your podcast at. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, that SEC podcast this is the name of it. It's available on all podcast platforms. YouTube, we're kind of blowing that thing up. And uh, if you just search SEC Mike, or just google twitter whatever i'll pop up where we are we have all the social medias too it's that sec podcast the highest rated sec podcast on apple and spotify yeah i'll go give him a watch on youtube if he's got his uh his desk display on youtube i'm looking at it right now he's got a pretty cool setup all the helmets out it's got a nice setup big props to you there mike thanks man well before we wrap up you got anything else Seth? i'm good man we just really appreciate you coming on the show mike Thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for inviting me, and uh, hopefully I didn't disappoint. Oh, no, no. <laughs> As always, go Hogs. All right, and that was Michael Bratton with SEC that SEC podcast, talking some Hog sports with us. You know, as we wind up this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You know, and as always, thank you for listening in to today's episode of the Wu Big Weekly Podcast, and we'll catch you back right here next week.